All right, everyone, welcome back to another Busted Header podcast. I'm Chris, aka Not the Fake Webby on Twitter and Infamous Web on Reddit. As usual, I'm joined by the man who has a very odd opinion about wedding pictures and specifically pants, uh, Jake, who answers to Halbertius on Twitter. Um, it's not odd, it's correct. Please get your pants, like, they don't even have to be tailored. Just get them the right length. I tw- Twice to uh, that day when I sent out that tweet, I had pictures of people who were, like, all dressed up for their wedding. They had the nice, like, the, the suit vest and everything, and those were all fitted. And you look down at their pants, and they've got, like, four layers of wrinkles, like, pooling over their shoes. That's not good looking. Come on, stop it. Uh, but anyway, so speaking about uh, the Pistons today, we're going to be going over the last bit of our roster construction. Uh, specifically, we're going to be focusing on the forwards. Um, going through kind of Bruce Brown, Tony Snell, in the lot there. Uh, before we head into that, we got to cover the end of the preseason, which just capped the other night. Um, we ended at 3-2 and two with a Philly loss and a Charlotte win coming since the last pod. Uh, we had a couple good preseason games, especially the Charlotte win. And I believe we also, I can't remember, I don't think we did the last podcast before the Cleveland win as well, which was a nice Maybe comeback not. effort from the boys. So we, we've had a couple games since then. Preseason's over. We're now kind of looking forward to the regular season here. Did you uh, get a chance to watch either of those? I got a chance to watch uh, the Cleveland game. I got to see the comeback at the end um, live. And then I got to watch the Charlotte game on a quick replay. And I was watching that right before we came into this. So uh, <laughs> my main thing was, God, I love watching Miles Bridges play. <laughs> God, he is so fun to watch. Yeah. I miss him so much. So uh, Miles Bridges is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malik Monk might actually be a player now. That's it only took fun. three years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I missed the uh, the Philly game personally. And then when, uh, mm-hmm. when I got online, I, I was in a class and... I saw that Joel Embiid played and Andre Drummond didn't, and I was like, "Hmm, I don't need to see that one. I'll uh, I'll skip." But yeah, uh, with, I, with no one really playing that game, it wasn't really much to watch from what I've heard. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I don't know. I I haven't really, I I didn't see anything in those last three games that really changed any of the opinions I had coming into this roster. I don't know about you. No, not really. I think that was kind of where I was at before, um, but specifically. Christian Wood, I think, more and more. If he doesn't make that last roster spot, it's going to be a, a real shame. Yeah, the uh, the later latest chatter, um, I know Laz Jackson has said he has a source that says uh, Wood is safe. I've heard similar things from some of the other people on Twitter. So mm-hmm. uh, if he's safe, the, the question now is, is it Joe Johnson or Kyrie Thomas who makes way? Or somebody yeah. has to go without getting a return so maybe it's uh maybe somebody's traded in a two for one you know who knows but mm-hmm. it, it sounds like christian wood is safe which is good because if yeah. he wasn't safe it'd be a pretty stark indictment on the, the front office yeah i would say that'd be a pretty big loss not having him just being you know kind of i, I kind of picture more as like that that late second round pick maybe an older guy um someone's coming in with a little bit of experience in college i'm kind of comparing him to that and that's where I'm kind of excited about him. I think if he does make the roster, he'll not play a lot, but he'll be someone that can come in a little bit and just make it kind of entertaining off the bench and be kind of an exciting player to watch, especially watching his game and watching him play. He's a fun player to watch. Well, and he is only 24, so that's what, 
a year older than Luke. Um, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's a year older than Luke, and basically all of our rookies are the exact same age. They're all 23 now, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, he does yeah, have he... plenty of room and time to grow, especially because big men tend to take longer, but he's been exciting, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to hear positive trends. I do want to say mm-hmm. before we move on from the preseason, I owe uh, Tim Frazier. I owe ah, Tim yes. Frazier an apology. Uh, mm-hmm. I said early on in the uh, the last game that I felt like he's kind of been carried through the preseason and uh, which to be honest for a third guard isn't a bad thing but it was kind of like yeah. he was getting a lot of praise and I was like mm, he's really just kind of not turning the ball over which mm-hmm. you know not big not step up from thing. Jose Calderon but <laughs> yeah um, it's improvement. I, he he then showed out and ended up with like 15 and 12 or something to end that game so yep I apologize, Tim. You proved he was me definitely wrong. checking his his phone at halftime. Sorry, tweet and was like, "No, I'm not having this. Look, I'm not I getting would. shit from Halbertius on Twitter." <laughs> I'd follow me. All right, so so moving on for the preseason, we're a little under a week until the regular season start. It's going to be next Wednesday. We're recording this on a Friday, um, so five days away from an actual tip off. Um, the opening is in Atlanta, correct? Against the Hawks. Man, Before I we... don't know. I believe that's what it is before coming home the next night to, or no, there's a ho- first home game is against the Hawks. We play at the Pacers the first yes, night. It is Pacers, the then Hawks. Back to back to start the season. Go yep. NBA. <laughs> Great scheduling department. Um, yeah. So we're excited to get uh, into the regular season here soon. Um, but without further ado, we're going to head on to the forwards. Okay, so the first person we're going to talk about today is, of course, Bruce Brown, who I think at this point it's a pretty clear indication he's going to be the starting uh, shooting guard playing alongside, you know, Reggie, Blake, Andre, and Snell. Um, last season, his rookie season, he was a big surprise. I don't think anyone expected him to start the year as a starter, let alone play as many minutes as he did um, with being a second-round pick um, out of Miami last year. Uh, so he's made, I feel like, some pretty big strides over the over the offseason, over the summer. Um, we got to see a little bit of it in summer league and through the first couple preseason games. How do you feel about him going into this year? Do you think he's going to really kind of take a step forward from what you saw in summer league and leading up to this? Well, we, we saw coming into last year, we knew he wasn't a good shooter and he hasn't been a good shooter his first year and he doesn't look much better, um, in summer league and, and in practice footage we've seen so far. He, uh, He's changed his shot, but it's not, it's still not like fundamentally great. So mm-hmm. I'm not anticipating a big leap in three point percentage. But the thing is, he was a good cutter last year. He's a generally pretty smart player. He's a good passer. Um, and we saw in Summer League that, like, if you just let him go and let him, you know, um, kind of play with the ball in his hands as kind of a nominal point guard, he really does have some talent in that regard. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I think that's a major positive. He's already shown in preseason he's still cutting very actively, and he knows how to like get away without being a good shooter. Yeah. Um, Dwayne Casey has some some responsibility in making sure that he's used properly, and uh, you know he can't be a guy who's who's posted up in a corner not doing anything. That's what they used to mm-hmm. do with Stanley Johnson all the time, <laughs> and then you know both the player and the coach are shooting themselves in the foot that in that regard. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so how do you keep Bruce on the move? Um, can you use him as a screener in certain off ball actions, that kind of thing. But his, uh, his, his big thing that I was watching for in summer league was his finishing. Mm -hmm. He has struggled to draw free throws when he finishes. He struggled to finish period. He shot 47% around the rim last year, Mm -hmm. which for an athlete of his caliber is ridiculously low. Um, and it was mostly because he'd like to just take off really early and just kind of launch himself at people and then try and finish through that contact. And you can't get away with that in the NBA. Guys are too good at going vertical and just staying vertical and, and being seven and a half feet tall. So yep. in summer league, he did show some improvements. Um, he took off later, which means that you're taking off like up and through contact going upwards instead of trying to attack contact laterally or horizontally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he still has some work to do, but that's it's like a very positive sign that he did it at all in Summer League. He still f- had poor finishing numbers. I don't have his Summer League numbers in front of me, but um, you combine that with the passing acumen and the ball handling acumen he showed and then his defense, and that that's all very positive. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed about him going into this preseason and specifically kind of in the Summer League games where he was given a lot of chance to run, run point guard, kind of run the plays was... He seems a lot more comfortable this year with the ball in his hands. And a lot of that relates to his finishing. You know, he gets by the defender. He's able to put a shot up, but the contact just forces him off his shot. He's just not comfortable there. And sometimes he misses some kind of easier layups and easier bunnies. Um, So something that I'm really looking forward to in this year is him being able to finish at the rim. Not necessarily, I know I've seen a lot of stuff on like Reddit and Twitter about him being able to, you know, he needs to work on a shot. He needs to be able to step out and hit a three. While that's important, I don't think it's the biggest thing in his development at the moment. The way the Pistons have been using him, at least from what I've seen so far in the summer league, is to kind of be a lot more of that second creator, which I'm really intrigued about because he's a good, I mean, he's an above average athlete. He's got all the, I guess, the physical tools to be that second creator off of Reggie Jackson or off of Blake Griffin to kind of give them a little bit of a breather. So I'm, I, that's one of the things I'm looking for to see him improve as the year goes on. But something that I've seen that he's brought in from this offseason seems to be a lot better finishing ability and ability to get to the line a little bit more and kind of draw those fouls, take contact, and not be just thrown off his game, which is something that is a, it's a big step up when he moved to the NBA. Obviously, you're, you're going against actual seven-footers. You're not going against you know, the six, nine centers that you do in college. Something that I, I, like to, I like what I've seen so far to him, and I'm excited to see what he can do once we get against actual competition. I mean, really, all, all I want to see from him is as soon as he catches the ball, I want him attacking, you know, what I want him to look at his defender and attack whichever foot, you know, he thinks the defender's wrong footed mm-hmm. on. And if mm-hmm. he, if there's one shot he works on, I'd really prefer it to be like the eight foot floater kind of thing. Yes. So that when he can't get to the rim, he has the second option. Um, mm-hmm. And that really hasn't been a big part of his game. I, he didn't really take many shots in that range at all last year so um you know we know who he is and he knows who he is and so it's you know some people and i think Dwayne casey has has said you know they want him to work on the shot and they want him to shoot shots even when he's not a good shooter and for me it's about starting out building what you are and then you can work on the things you're not Mm -hmm. and i just want him to focus on you know finishing at the rim finishing you know, having a move, if it's a little push shot off the glass or a little pull up or whatever, having a move at eight feet when you can't get to, you know, get all the way into the rim. To me, it's more important to be able to, to take advantage of, of that than to shoot the outside. Yeah. Shot. I think that's something that you kind of see with some of the better players in the NBA, kind of your 
your stars is that they they have they've built a move in the off seasons, whether it's LeBron going into the post when he was in Miami. So I think that's something that maybe later along the line, Bruce will definitely get into. But right now, I just kind of want him to feel out the offense, kind of find his spot and find his role. So that'll be fun to kind of see as we start in the year. And one of the, I guess, key points to see if that starting lineup is going to mesh. So moving on, kind of looking through him. Uh, trade status-wise, he's in his second year on the Pistons. He's in the middle of a three-year deal uh, with his rookie deal. So I don't think there's any – I would be absolutely dumbstruck if he was you know, moved for any reason whatsoever. I think at least the rest of his contract, he's going to be staying in Detroit because when you have someone who's that cheap, I don't think there's any way that he moves, barring a massive deal. I think he's got just a tiny bit of value – for for his defensive skill set, you know, I think I think other teams would be intrigued, but I, I don't see him having enough value to move him for something else. And he doesn't have a contract that offsets mm-hmm. anything or you know creates any advantage in that regard. So I think his spot's pretty safe. Yep. Anything else you want to touch on before we move on to the next guy? Nope. All right. So moving on through the starting lineup, we're going to go to our nominal small forward Tony Snell. Uh, we brought him over in a trade uh, to bring him in from Milwaukee as they tried to lower their cap uh, yield coming into the offseason, a lot of people to re-sign. Um, so he was one of the casualties of those um, trying to re-sign Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and a couple other guys in Milwaukee. But the Pistons, I think, benefited greatly because we got <laughs> a small forward again. We have an actual small forward. <laughs> we don't have Wayne Ellington and Luke Kennard masquerading as a small forward. So that's, I think, the main thing I'm very excited for, is to see someone that is kind of a... I mean, you're going to hate me for saying this as the leader of the Stanley Johnson fan club. But he's someone who we kind of wanted Stanley to be, which is a 3 and D guy. Not, I mean, he shoots great from three. He shot great last year, but not, I would say, the most... He's not J.J. Redick. He's not Clay no. Thompson. But he's still a damn good person. He can stretch the floor. you got to pay attention to him out there. And on the defensive end, while he's not you know, as good as Stanley was there, he's still a very good defender and someone who you can trust against some of the better small forwards in the league. So I think in that respect, he'll, he'll be a big step forward from what we had last year. And while he may not, on the offensive end, be as good as a Wayne Ellington, I think he might fit the team a little bit better. Yeah, having size is is always a big deal. And we missed that last year. Just defensively, it, you know, it takes a guy who's got Snell size and wingspan, it takes him one less step to get over and help in a rotation. Because he's just longer. You know, he can defend a guy like Giannis, who, um, unless he was posting up uh, Blake Griffin last year, we didn't have anyone who could, like, put a body on Giannis. And now we do. And, you know, the same goes for Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, LeBron James. You know, Snell isn't a lockdown stopper by any means, but he's a competent defender Mm -hmm. with the right size and the right agility to take that kind of job. So that's that's a big deal. We haven't had that without sacrificing offense. I mean, Stanley's a guy who could do it, but without <laughs> sacrificing the offense, I mean, Marcus Morris did it a little bit, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, I don't know who else we've had who can really hit, handle that since Tayshon Prince was. That's exactly what I was going to say. The last person that could do it was Tayshon, and Marcus did it to an extent, but there was always kind of a there was kind of like an end to what Marcus could do. So. uh I mean, just looking at uh, Snell's stats, I mean, he shot 40% from three. That's great. About mm-hmm. three a game, so that's pretty good. Um, I'd like to see that attempt rate get a little higher even. 
Uh, he only played about 17 and a half minutes, 18 minutes for the Bucks. So uh, hopefully we can get him to six attempts a game if he's mm-hmm. a starter. Um, looking at the shot chart, the one thing that I really liked is um, he was pretty good from the corners. And then mm-hmm. the above the break threes, he didn't do so well from like the central third of the floor. But on those yeah. like above the break upper corner threes, uh, he was over 40% on both the left and the right side of the floor. And he's way, he's pretty significantly better shooting from the left side of the floor than the right. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's one thing to be able to shoot from the corner, to be able to shoot the the 23-foot, 24-foot three above the break is, is even better because that means that you can fill above the pick and roll a little easier. Mm-hmm. I think that'll just be important with Blake and Andre – with posting up and they're trying to get position and they can't just like sag off Snell right there. So that's you, where would, he's you would normally want him in a pick and roll. If he's in the, if he's on the far side of the pick and roll, if he's on the, like the weak side of the action, you want him in the corner. Yeah, but if he was in that there. strong side corner, you want him to be able to rotate up above mm-hmm. where the pick and roll happened and be able to shoot that catch and shoot three. That's where like Tobias Harris was awesome for us. Oh yeah. He was money from there. <laughs> yeah. That, that season when we traded for Blake, two years ago now that was that mm-hmm. the action he was really good at is is they'd run a pick and roll and then tobias would sneak up basically right to the point on the line where they ran the pick and roll and he'd have a wide open three every time that's the kind of thing snell should be good at and he's got the percentages to prove it and uh, if, if he can take a, a high number of those attempts it's gonna be a really efficient offense and it's gonna be something we haven't really had um you know we've we've had shooters but the the kind of shooting that snell gives is just a, a pure floor spacer is is really nice and he has shown the ability to come off screens and do a little bit of that kind of work um not th- not a crazy versatile offensive option by any means he only averaged about an assist a game last year but he, he really should fill a lot of little holes that were in the the lineups before and i'm really excited to have a, a guy who can play some defense yeah i mean having the three and d wing is i think super important in today's nba and something that we haven't had in a little while, we've had defensive guys like Bruce Brown, like Stanley Johnson. We've had three-point guys like Wayne Ellington and a couple other guys there. But having them both in one package is something that we haven't really seen in a while. It's something that's hard to get in the league. And the fact that we got them for, you know, nothing, literally, <laughs> I think is a, is a huge difference maker. I know everyone talks about with Tony Snell for how much he can shoot from three. But is there anything else you think he could do on the offensive end that will be a plus? What else can he do? He doesn't really put the ball on the floor much. Um, he can hit like a one dribble pull up and stuff against a closeout, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. He's not a great driving finisher. I don't really know how he is as, as like a cutter. I would assume he's okay. He can give you a little bit of juice and transition and that kind of stuff. You know, he can run the floor. He's a good athlete. He doesn't really seem like a cutting type. Um, but I, I think his primary value is is just sitting in a corner, sitting on the wing, and stretching the floor that way. Mm-hmm. Which, in reality, that's actually kind of a good thing. There's there's always a value to having secondary playmaking, but you don't want to have too many people who need the ball to create for themselves. Like That's why Luke Kennard tends to struggle a little bit with the starters, um, especially early on in games, is he kind of needs to get into a rhythm. There should be no such issue with, with Tony Snell. So having a guy who just knows how to you know do his job and, and do it within the confines of what he's asked to do is nice. Yeah, I think that would be very important with we have a a Derrick Rose, a, a Reggie Jackson, even a Luke Kennard as he becomes more of a budding ball handler. Having Tony out there kind of holding down the three-point line, stretching the defense, making sure that they can't, you know, sag off will be really important just balancing out that offense. And I don't I don't expect him to be, nor do I want him to be a massive playmaker because 
I'd rather have the ball in Reggie or Rose or Blake or Luke or all these other guys. I just want him when the ball is in his hands that he's either making the right decision or we're getting some points off it. So that, that's all I want out of him, <laughs> simply put. Um, moving on, so we did just, of course, trade for him. So I don't believe he can be traded until, what, like December 15th at the earliest? Something like that. So in that regard, he's not going to be moved anytime soon. Beyond that, he does have a player option. And a lot of people have talked about the Pistons' flexibility coming into the next offseason with the amount of money coming off the books. So in that respect, I I could see him being not necessarily available to play at the trade deadline, but if the Pistons are either trying to get off money, whether in a tank, you know, something happens to Blake, Andre says there's no way I'm coming back to Detroit. Uh, if something like that happens, I could see him being definitely dangled out there and there's a possibility of us making a big splash at the trade deadline, which I don't really foresee. Yeah, if but they swing for something, response, he's he's probably uh, he's a likely trade filler piece. Even though he's he'd be valuable, you know, he's a valuable rotation piece. But if they wanted to make a big swing for something, you know, and they needed to get to a certain you know monetary level, Reggie Jackson's contract and Tony Snell's contract kind of are the two big monies that can be moved that in Langston Galloway's like 7 million, 8 million, mm-hmm. you know, those are the three contracts that they could use to get to a certain value. If they, if, you know, if they were going after a contract worth 25 million, that's kind of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they're trying to, you know, there's another team that's trying to get off money um, in the, in a long-term deal, I could definitely see him and like a Langston Galloway being packaged somewhere. So I think that's the only respect in which he's, you know, available for a trade. Uh, is just because of that, the amount of money that is on his contract, and it's kind of right in that movable pieces area. That yep. I mean, you saw the Bucks do last year, so yep. <laughs> that you, kind of proves. Do you think there. he'll have any inkling to turn down that? Oh, is it a team option next year? You have written down as team option. I could have I, sworn it was a player option. It looks like basketball. Right, it says it's a player option. So yeah, no. Oh, I probably wrote <sighs> down wrong then. Because I was going to say, I, do you do you think he would opt out? I think there's a. Hmm. I would say with his age and where he's at, I would expect him to opt in just because of where the, the salary cap's gonna be at next year. There's really? not gonna there's not gonna be an insane amount of money going around. I think unless he does have, you know, a phenomenal year and he really shows himself to be a starter in today's NBA, which he's he's twenty seven, he has that potential to kind of take a step forward. Uh, but I would expect him to, you know, take that, that guaranteed money that year and then go into the next off season where you know, a lot of teams are already trying to bank cap space and try and, you know, kind of go towards the big Frasians that are going to be out there, the Paul George, the Kawhi Leonard, everyone else. I could see him waiting until that year and trying to tag along as like a role player. See, I, I, I mean, was actually thinking the opposite because he's almost yeah. 28 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'll be he'll be basically 29 to start the next year. And um, he'll be 29 He'll be making, I think it's twelve a year, which is probably a little below. Yep. Like if he if he takes the stats he has, um, you know, and he gets and he continues and maintains those at starter minutes, you know. So if he continues to be a forty percent shooter and a reasonable defender, um, you know, and does everything we expect of him, and he sustains that as a starter. You know, I think that's worth more than twelve million a year. And if he's going to be twenty nine, he's going to want to. I would think he would want to be looking for another three, four years at fifteen mil, kind of deal. And I mean, in, I a, think... in a in a in a 
off season where there's no superstars, I think he might find a team willing to give him, you know, four or five million extra a year in a little bit of length. Yeah, for I would say in terms of that, it, it kind of depends on what is obviously available. And I just don't foresee there being a whole lot of cap space, a whole lot of stuff being thrown around. And I would kind of expect him to be signed more. Obviously, it depends on what he's doing. If he wants to go to, you know, a bad team like the Phoenix Suns, he can go and try and get that recoup that money. But I would kind of expect him to go more for a uh, like a mid-level exception kind of deal. That'd be where I would expect to see him really get his money, unless he's resigning with the Pistons. But uh, as I'm well aware with the Pistons, <laughs> he's going to do the opposite of whatever we want. Either we want him to opt in, he's going to opt out, or we're going to want him to opt out, he's going to opt in. Because that's I how think the Pistons. If he has a solid luck season. Is. He's going to have he's going to have bargaining power beyond which, which the I mean that's what it, Emily. I, I think he's going to have. I think he's going to be able to ask for more than that. That's what it boils down to. It's how he plays on the floor this year. So yeah. I hope for his sake that he's ready to opt out and he plays, has a great <laughs> season. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, next, another person who's nearing free agency. Uh, we're going to talk about Langston Galloway, who is <laughs> kind of the, the scourge, I think, of some uh, Pistons fans' existence. Langston is uh, what can be described very heavily as a streaky shooter, <laughs> where... He's either lights out or he's just nothing. <laughs> That's what annoys me more than anything with him and makes him personally one of my, my least favorite Pistons to watch. Um, he's someone that we brought in, what was it now, two, three, three years ago? Two years ago. Um, from the Knicks in that nope. weird offseason. Was it three years ago? It was Kings. That was the Kings. He went from the Knicks to the Pelicans Of course it's the, to the Kings. Kings. It's always the Kings. <laughs> But we brought him in in just the oddest of circumstances because I remember it distinctly at the time where we had traded for uh, Avery Bradley shortly before uh, signing Langston. And when we signed Langston, all of a sudden we came, we were hard capped and we had to let KCP go in a move that I was surprised about at the time. And it, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it looks like it was the right move. Duncan uh, Smith is never getting over that. No, he, <laughs> he will not let anyone else forget about it either. Uh, but that was one of the most peculiar signings at the time because I don't think at any point in his career, besides maybe his like you know, rookie year, he was really someone who any NBA fan was excited about or really wanted. Um, but since he's came to Detroit, I mean, I think it's fair to say he didn't live up to expectations like a lot of our recent free agent signings. Hmm. He was someone who came off the bench and... You never quite knew what you were going to get out of him on a night-to-night basis. Either you are going to get, you know, three Galloway where he's knocking down threes and people pay attention to him, or you're going to get the, you know, the Chucker version of Langston where it was just the ball was going up, maybe Andre got the rebound, past that, that was about it. Um, so what about, do you think there's anything that Langston could do this year to kind of solidify his spot in the rotation more than just a couple minutes off the bench guy i don't foresee him being too much in that rotation there i mean he got 22 minutes a game last year yeah and i and it was mostly because i think Dwayne casey likes his defense which is better (laughs) i think than he gets some credit for from some people and maybe worse than Dwayne casey thinks it is yeah there's definitely some rose tinted glasses with casey um you know it's one of those things where like he's he's really strong and long so you know, he can do a little bit defending other guards and 
you know, the, the theoretical Langston Galloway is a nice bench player. And it's, you know, even if you look at his averages, like 35.5% from three on a high volume of attempts per minute is pretty good. Like, a, you know, and you add in neutral to slightly positive defense and you're like, oh, that's fine. And it's just the fact that you can't, you know, he has good averages, but he never has an average game. And that's why it's such a pain in the butt to mm-hmm. to watch him. You know, and then there's things where it's like, he's a decent playmaker when he wants to be. Like, he has those yeah. those moments where he gets the dribble handoffs and he, you know, he can throw a decent lob to the, to the roll man and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he has those moments where he'll jet down the lane and he'll get those little finger roll layups. And you're like, why don't we see this? you know, this decision-making from you because it's there, mm-hmm. you know, these, these things, it's not like he has games where he's getting new plays run for him. Um, you know, so it's, it's frustrating. He just has to stabilize his decision-making and then he's a fine, you know, 18 minute a game role player. Um, I just, I have no idea whether he'll be able to do that because he hasn't shown it ever. No, for any stretch of time. No, uh, no, yeah, uh, with Lynx tonight, I don't think we need to talk a long, long time about him. He's so streaky, so hard to predict. Um, to kind of give Langston some credit, because I feel like we've just been talking bad about him. Can we talk about how great a sneaker game is? Yes. Because, the oh my god, the kicks are fire. <laughs> Simply put. One of the NBA's great sneaker heads, and by all accounts, a great person. Yeah. Nobody has anything word. bad to say about Langston as a person, so all credit to him there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of people like meeting him at a mire and just shaking his hand and him being gracious and appreciative of kind of the support. So I have nothing bad to say about him as a person from everything I've heard. It's just you see that talent, you see what's there, and you can see what he can do, and it's just frustrating to watch. But moving on to kind of his uh, his availability, he is very available to say the least. I think if you had to pick one piston who's going to be traded this this season – Langston was the faraway leader in the clubhouse and who we think is going to be moved. Um, I saw a report recently from Vince, Ell- Vince Ellis of the Free Press who said that the Pistons are, quote, very open to the idea of trading Langston Galloway. So it's a combination of him being at the end of his contract, not being someone who's necessarily super valuable to the team and coming off the bench, and just the amount of money he's on and something where you could get a, a decent chip for that. And he's someone who I think I'd, I'd be most excited to see us wait until kind of the trade deadline and see what teams are maybe not necessarily tanking, but out of the playoff race and maybe trying to trade away role players who are you know, somewhat important and try and get off money. So I feel like the Pistons, of course, we've had such an awful track record of signing for agents, especially those coming to play off the bench, that being able to kind of, in the similar vein of us getting Tony Snell, just kind of trading... Uh, Langston for just somebody who's maybe in a three-year deal, but and it's not great money necessarily-wise, but somebody who can come in and make a difference and maybe be a bench piece that can help spark us. You know, For me, that's what Langston's biggest opportunity for <laughs> this season is, and it's right. harsh to say. At, at $7.3 million, he's he's got enough money that I think that, that means um, basically anyone who signed for a mid-level exception deal mm-hmm. is within the uh the range that you can trade for them using langston's contract maybe you have to toss in um a Kyrie or a Svi or one of the other you know uh minimum guys but he that's a good number to 
work the trade market with. Mm-hmm. It's a good number if you're trying to include something bigger to a Reggie Jackson, if you're trying to go for a bigger contract. He is a piece that is fairly expendable, even if he is going to play, you know, I expect him to play 15 plus minutes a game because Dwayne Casey likes him. But yeah, I don't think that means he's not expendable. I, you know, I don't expect him to finish the season in Detroit, to be honest with you, because it just makes too much sense. I think especially with Luke and with Bruce, he's he's kind of surplus to requirements there. And I'd be curious to see what we can we can get in the trade market for him and i will be at not, i wouldn't say sad to see him go but like like we said earlier he's a great he seems like a great guy his sneakers are always fire <laughs> so move on to another person who we think is days but the pistons could possibly be numbered is going to be the second round pick from last year Kyrie thomas so Kyrie barely got any run last year whatsoever um he was kind of the juxtaposition of bruce who kind of got a lot of run that we didn't expect Kyrie, I think a lot of people, especially when we drafted him, were very high and very excited um, to see him and hope that he got some run, and he didn't get any. He played in a total of 26 games last year, played seven minutes just coming off the bench at the end of a game when nothing really mattered too much. So in that respect, he didn't really get much of an opportunity to show himself on an NBA floor. Uh, But at the same time, I think especially the way this offseason has gone and kind of seeing him in in the summer league and seeing him barely in the preseason uh a lot of people i think rightly so have questions of whether he'll even be able to play on an nba team and if he's ever going to become an nba player Uh, what do you think is kind of the thing that's i guess holding him where he's at and not allowing him to advance and get some minutes on this pistons team that's not been the greatest especially from a wing perspective so i just want to say i didn't realize he played 26 games last year I didn't either until I saw that. I, I would have I would've, guessed, I would've like, guessed 12 like yeah, that. I, I would have been in like single digits. So uh, what's, what's the total? He played 200 minutes, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. I can't remember those. <laughs> Not even <laughs> like, I can't remember 15 it was, minutes. Yeah, it was mostly at the end of the games when we were already lost and Evan either turned off the TV or blacked out from drinking in yeah, misery. None, none of them were meaningful minutes. Mm-mm. Not a single one. Uh, as far as what limits him, I think the, we saw it a little bit in the the summer league games this year. It really doesn't seem like he's got like vertical explosion at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, if that's the case, it really is one of those things where he may just not be like dynamic enough to play in the NBA, which is kind of a weird thing because he's he's actually he's very strong. And he's a good defensive presence. He's got good shooting numbers. Um, and it may just be a case of them not thinking he's good enough to do, you know, if he if he can't even do like simple dribble drives with the ball against a closeout, that kind of thing. Um, maybe the front office just doesn't have enough confidence in him to, to put him on the floor. But it, it is very strange that like during Langston Galloway's ice cold stretches last year that Kyrie didn't yeah. get. A little bit of run because it's not like he played badly when he was on the floor mm-hmm. do we think that's more the front office or do we think that's more of a Dwayne Casey with him being a rookie not not trusting him as much not he doesn't have the defensive acumen that, that Bryce had or Bruce had in practice so he didn't trust him on the floor there against I don't NBA know because bodies. I've heard some people say and I can't remember who who said this or I or I uh what do you want to call it? Credit them. 
But mm-hmm. I've heard some people suggest that he was intended to be the first replacement for Luke last year. Because Luke, I think, was going to start. Luke yeah. got a little bit banged up in the preseason. I think then Kyrie was slated to be the nominal starter. And then I think Kyrie had a little like quadricep twinge or something. And so mm-hmm. Bruce got the start. And then Bruce really kind of took advantage of that and kept that starting spot. But it doesn't sound like Kyrie was that far behind Bruce to start the season. Um, yeah, I think I remember going into that that regular season, and they were both kind of neck and neck. And I remember hearing, you know, going into that regular season game. I went to the first game of the year last year, and I had heard that Luke was not going to play, and I didn't remember hearing who was going to play over him. And I was kind of like, oh, maybe this will be Kyrie. Maybe this is. You know, I was expecting to be Langston. Um, then we get to the game and it's Bruce Brown. I'm like, I was not expecting that. I would have totally expected Kyrie, but I think that kind of goes to show how quickly things can change and how maybe I mean how good of a talent Bruce was. And when we drafted him in the second round, it seemed like he had fallen a little bit because of you know an injury and you know college performance. So maybe I mean, it's, it's just that things, is who Kyrie is. When I did my uh, when I did my scouting reports on that draft class. I thought Kyrie was the better prospect. They traded Same. picks to get Kyrie. Um, you know, I thought I, I I shouldn't say I thought he was a better prospect because I think Bruce probably has more upside total. But I thought he was the more ready prospect for sure. Um, I think anyone coming out of that draft would have expected Kyrie to be the person that would play much sooner than Bruce. Bruce right, the yeah. current's like a long term prospect. So I don't know if it's if it's Dwayne Casey not wanting to play rookies because clearly Dwayne Casey played a lot of young players last year. Mm-hmm. So it is strange to, you know, I do very much want to know what is it that he shows in practice? What is it that he showed, you know, because I saw him play in the G League and he was a G League all-star. Like, oh, yeah. I, you know, it's there. just what what is it that they see that we're not getting a chance to see? Because clearly they don't see a value in Kyrie that we kind of hoped was there. Mm-hmm. What do we could do with, honestly, he's a, he's a bigger guy. Um, he weighs in at 210, which is solid for a, a shooting guard. He's very strong. But he is, he's a little undersized. I think it's just he can't get that separation on the NBA level that he can in the G League. I That would be my one guess, is him just not being able to to really compete with the NBA bodies and the NBA people that can put at you know, shooting guard, especially. It's one know. of the most athletic positions on the floor. So that would be my guess. Um, but, yeah, so as we go into the season, a lot of people are kind of... There's some rumors that he could be the one that gets outed to make sure that Christian Wood makes the team and the corpse of Joe Johnson as well. Do we think it's do we think it's a good thing or do we feel like this is another Spencer Dimwitty, Chris Middleton situation where we're cutting bait on the guy a little too early and just not allowing him to properly blossom in the NBA game and kind of get used to the speed, especially with him just entering his second year right now? Well, I mean, let's let's be very, very frank here. Chris Middleton is disappointing, but he did give us Brandon Jennings, who everybody loved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it does feel like an overpay because they also got Brandon Knight, who I think at the time was kind of expected to be, you know, a fair compensation all by himself. Yeah. But uh, it was, the at Dinwiddie the time, thing he was just is so away. overblown, and I'm so done with it. Spencer Dinwiddie was not good here. Spencer Dinwiddie mm-hmm. needed to leave to be good. Spencer Dinwiddie got cut by the Chicago Bulls right after he came here because he wasn't any better for them than he was for us. Exactly. I'm very happy that Spencer found his way. Uh, he wasn't going to find it here. And yep. people just need to get over that. But I think both of us were very high on Spencer. 
uh, through his entire time with the Pistons, and we were both at the end of that saying, "All right, it's it's time for him to go." Yeah, it was just he it wasn't working out there, and he needed that motivation. I think he would be the same person he was if he was still on the Pistons or even on the Bulls. No. And, you know, he doesn't like the Pistons and he likes to, you know, play hard against us because he resents that. And, like, you do you, mm-hmm. but you weren't being, you you know, you weren't going to become that player here. And I everybody just needs to recognize that. As far yeah. as um, Kyrie goes, and I, it's hard. Um, you know, the, the question will be, what do they cut bait? You know, what, why, what's the excuse in this regard? Like with Dinwiddie, it was literally, we just have to cut him because he's not playing well here and we can't give him what he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, with uh, Middleton, it was, he was part of a trade. For Kyrie, it's going to be, he's getting cut because we want to keep Christian Wood. So that's good. That's fine. That's an acceptable yeah. argument as far as I'm concerned. But it's also, he's going to get cut because we want to keep Joe Johnson. <laughs> And yep. that's where it's like, if the, if he leaves because we want Joe Johnson, and he can't just leave. They can't just cut him. They have to trade him because he has a guaranteed contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he gets traded in some way to make room for Joe Johnson, Joe Johnson better contribute noticeably, or it will be, you know, it will reflect poorly on the front office. Yeah. I, I think with... Kyrie, if we trade Kyrie, I think more of him the way I feel like of the Syracuse uh, point guard we had that's escaping my mind right now. We traded him in that giant Chris Paul trade where, yeah, we lost him. I'm not too concerned about it. For the greater good, it was necessarily nothing. Right now, he's on um, one more year guaranteed. He's making you know minimum salary, I think, 800000 or something like that. So he's not he's not making any money. There will be a team that will gladly take him. Now, it would have to be a team in a cap space if we just want to trade just him, which there's not a whole lot of teams that even for like the probably $1 million cap, it would be able to take him in without sending someone else back. Uh, but he's someone I could definitely see not making the team. And at this point, the way that we go through the preseason, he's barely seen any minutes. I think that's very indicative of the situation that he's in and how much longer he could be in that Pistons uniform. Yeah. All right, so moving into Joe Johnson, who is <laughs> very much at the end of the bench right now. Um, through this preseason, he's hardly played really at all. And to kind of put a good case on it, when I saw him come in in the Cleveland game, I didn't recognize who it was at first. And my first thought was, who the hell is 24? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't recognize him. He didn't look like the Joe Johnson that I remember it. Um, so... I mean, it's it's very kind of it, it kind of shows where he's at in his career, and he kind of feels like when the Pistons traded for Karan Butler and people were excited at first because Karan Butler is a name that they had heard and a name that they knew, and then they watched him play and they figured out, oh, this isn't the Karan Butler that we expected. No, nope. this is very 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 old Karan Butler. So I think to say, no matter how much he you know tore it up in the big three, and how well he looked there, he's still someone who's at the very end of their career he's not vince carter where he's just all of a sudden gonna continue on for another three years he's right at the border of it um so do we think that he can bring anything more than just kind of a veteran presence and somebody who's been there before who's been around the block who's been who's made clutch shots been in big playoff games and can kind of bring that experience or do we think he's just a glorified assistant coach yeah i mean 
the difference between someone like Joe Johnson and someone like Vince Carter is a Vince Carter still has his hops, which is ridiculous. Um, but B, uh, Vince can shoot the ball. He's been a reliable three point shooter his whole career. And Joe Johnson has been an iffy three point shooter, um, for, for most of his career, to be honest with you. And, uh, his last year in Houston, he was an objectively terrible three-point shooter. He was shooting 20, 27% that year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you look at that, you say, okay, so there's two things Joe Johnson can bring then. Uh, he brings veteran presence, and maybe there's some value to that. You know, there's some some talk that maybe his ability to, to counsel Sekou Dumbuya has some value there. And then it's, you know, his his clutch scoring and stuff like that. Because he is and he remains an incredibly composed clutch mm-hmm. player. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And so the question I ask is, does that veteran presence have any value to him having a roster spot versus saying Joe Johnson come in as a coach? Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if that's the, you know, if the value is just we want somebody to shadow Seku Dumbia and make sure that Seku knows what's right and what's wrong here. Like, does he have to be in a jersey for that? I don't think so. Um, you know, and then it's like when you look at his clutch scoring, uh, you know, is that worth a roster spot? And mind you, if you're bringing him in because you think he can score in the clutch and he can he can be that kind of composed person, you have to dress him. So you get what thirteen spots to dress out of fifteen. So is it worth that? Like, I don't know. It, I I just have a hard time believing that what he brings, because he certainly hasn't shown anything in preseason that's amazing. He had, you know, a couple of late game heroics that were like, oh, look, it's ISO Joe. He still knows how to do a hook shot over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's not like Joe's made shots. I think he shot like 15% in the preseason so far from deep. So I, it's, I, don't, I don't know what the value here is. That's more valuable than Kyrie Thomas or anything else. Um, yeah. it, it's just hard to see where that is. And maybe it's something that's going on in the locker room that we just don't know about. But I have a hard time believing that something going on in the locker room is more valuable because he's wearing the jersey. Yeah. With Joe Johnson, I feel like he was always someone who was kind of a, a microwave scorer where he needed the ball in his hands to kind of really contribute. And as he's gotten older in his career and he's had the ball less and less and less in his hands, it's really kind of plummeted his game. And I don't think he's going to get that period with the Pistons. It's not like we're not a tanking team. We're not somebody who needs to throw a name out there just to bring people into the seats in that respect. Well, and he he doesn't even do that. Well, not not anymore, now. Pistons fans were excited about him on Twitter for a little bit, but I think once we watched him play, we realized what he was. At this point, I think he can be great in a league like the Big Three where... It's isolation. He's not He's not having to rely on like a full offense. He can just go out there and beat ISO Joe and just, he's clutch and he makes shots. Look, when you're shooting uncontested threes and isolating against somebody who doesn't <laughs> want to play defense. Uncontested fours, <laughs> get it right. Yeah, shot 50% on four-point shots in the big three. Look at you go, ISO Joe. Yep, but it's not that I don't want to see him on the Pistons, but this isn't like when we brought in T-Mac and he was still a productive player. This is end of the line player who's going to be, you know, retire next year look iso joe is a first ballot hall of fame piston killer <laughs> yes and i don't see how that changes if he's on the roster uh, i'm just warning y'all yep so we'll, we'll see what happens with him 
This may be the last time we talk about Joe Johnson. One of the last two guys is definitely going to be gone off the roster, I think. Hopefully. Um, in the next couple days. I know Joe's... Uh, non-guaranteed on his contract until October 22nd. I mean, obviously, we'll know probably about then if he's going to be on the team or if he's going to be cut or if Carvey's going to be traded or whatever. Uh, moving to someone, another uh, person who definitely going to make the team. And, all right, we practiced this a little bit. Ah, uh, God, I'm still going to mess it up. All right, so Savatoslav Mikhailuk. Close. Savatoslav, That's like a right? B, a, a good B grade. I'll give you a B. Svatoslav. I feel like the little puppy who's like trying to get up that step and he's been practicing and he's, his butt is trying to wiggle to get up there. That was me trying to figure out how to pronounce that again. Svi, he had a little bit of time at the end of the year, last year on the Pistons after getting traded from the Lakers, um, of course, in that Reggie Bullock deal. He's someone who, I think, when the trade initially went down, both of us were kind of sad to see Reggie go, who was a, a solid Piston. He would kind of fit in our offense well. Uh, but with him, of course, being an unrestricted free agent, there was too much uncertainty. And in terms of people to bring in, Sveev was not the top of that list. He was a late second round pick who didn't do anything for the Lakers team that was lacking depth. But he's still an interesting player. And he's someone who, he, he does more than I think people expect out of him. He's a better athlete than people give him credit for, of course. But he's still got the same problem as Luke where he's got the T-Rex arms. He's not, he's not gonna, <laughs> he doesn't have the long wingspan that you want nope. out of a two guard. That being said, he's still 6'8". Where are we hoping that we see Sveev this year? I don't know. It's it's really hard to place him because, like you said, he doesn't have the wingspan to be like at six eight. You'd like him to play the four almost, mm-hmm. especially considering that he's an athlete, and yet he can't play the four because he has a shorter standing reach than most of them. Um, so can he play the three uh, at the two? He's probably bigger than you need, and the Pistons have such size issues along the wing that he probably ends up playing the three if he's out there just because you need somebody who's six eight and a little heftier um yeah so i I think he ends up at the three the question really is what does he do when he's on the floor i have no issues with the shot he um also he shot 89 total three-point shots last year so that's nothing you know even for a shoot you know for especially Mm -hmm. for a shooter of his caliber that's that's absolutely nothing I'm not worried about the 32% he shot with the Lakers, or he was 32.5% uh, total last year. Not concerned about that. Mm-hmm. If he gets a real run of play, if he's getting good shots, I expect him to be making near 40%. He's that good a shooter, um, and he can shoot on the move. He can shoot coming off curls and screens. He can shoot standstill shots. I have no issues with him as a shooter whatsoever. Um, it is kind of interesting that he's never been a great free-throw shooter, um yeah he was only maybe an 80 percent free throw shooter at kansas yeah. which is kind of surprising 75 percent. so that's weird for a guy of his caliber but he is athletic you know so he can do some cutting and some and some uh slashing stuff like that he can put the ball on the floor a little bit he's an okay passer i think we saw in summer league he can he tends to be very mechanical he was really mm-hmm. good just with matt costello running the the pick and roll and kind of getting those little slip passes and bounce passes in the pocket but he really didn't make the the bigger wider range of passes the corner passes or the fines above the break so you do have to wonder like with luke Kennard, we think oh this guy can you know play nominal half court point guard and i don't see that Mm -hmm. in svi i do think if you close out on him hard he can maybe run a pick and roll out of the corner and you know do some fun stuff like that I don't know. It, it will be really interesting to see if he can get on the floor. It'll be interesting to see what he does when he's on the floor because I think he has a lot of potential. And at the same time, I don't know if he does anything so well that 
the coaching staff is going to be like, this is the guy that we have to get out there. With Svee, what I want to see out of him this year is corner threes and being a knockdown three-point shooter because I expect when he's going to get the minutes just looking at the composition of this team, it's going to be a lot of minutes at the three which he's going to be undersized on the defensive end, but hopefully it's something where he can get the defender to leg off him a little bit. Maybe he's running around screens. I don't I don't necessarily want the ball in his hands that much, but I want to see him when the ball is in his hands that he's either making a good decision of shooting it or getting a dribble drive or finding another person who's open. And I think if he kind of gets in that role, I think he's comfortable with the dribble drive when he gets the ball at the three from a rotation. I think he's comfortable going to the rim with it. Yeah, yeah, he is. So I just want to see him... I just want to see him take advantage of that and really, I guess, kind of show show who he is and kind of find a role in there because that's where I see him working best with the way this team looks. He can't finish this season shooting 30% again, but I don't expect it. No, I, I would be surprised if he was shooting that badly again. He needs to, if he wants to be an NBA player, he's got to pick that up. Continuing on with Svi, he's another person who might, he's got a smaller salary, he's at one and a half million. Um, with the team option next year. So he's someone who could easily be moved in a trade just to kind of make up salary if you need just a little bit more to get it across the line. Don't particularly see him getting traded again unless those circumstances um, with him being kind of a small rookie deal um, and having that option uh, next year as a team option. If he gets moved, it'll be because somebody said, hey, we want to do this trade and we want you to throw in Svi. And at that point, the Pistons don't really have any reason to be like, no, no, we can't give him up. <laughs> I would expect a little like shrug and be like, ah, okay. I think last year they moved Bullock for the second rounder because they wanted to just kind of get something back for him. And I think Svee was the thing where it was like, oh, just give us Svee back. And we'll, you know, we want that experiment for ourselves. I think someone else might say mm-hmm. the same thing if we do some kind of midseason trade. But I don't think the Pistons are trying to get rid of him. I think they're pretty interested in what they can get out of him. All right, so moving along to the next player, another young uh, gun. This is going to be actually the Pistons' first round pick, Seku Dumbuyo. Yeah. Nope. Booyah. 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 I, I got a booyah. Um, so anyway, so Seku barely played in the preseason. Um, so we didn't really get to see a whole lot of him in the preseason. We didn't really see a whole lot of him in the uh, the summer league as well. He spent a little bit of the time injured, and when he came in, he looked very raw. Um, so I feel like we talked about uh, Seku a lot over the offseason. Is there anything more you want to touch on him before we kind of... No, I, I think we were all pretty disappointed. He got 20 total minutes in the preseason, and... That's nothing. You know, so it's just disappointing. Mm-hmm. We really, I, I wanted to see, you know, more opportunity just to, to see, can he play defense at this level? You know, I know the shot's going to come and go for him. Um, we know he can kind of play in transition a little bit. We know that if he gets on the floor, it's going to be because he can play defense. And we didn't get to see enough of him to figure out if he can play defense. So we don't know anything about, you know, what Seku is at this point. Um, we don't really have any any baselines you know and and given that he didn't get any run now i don't see how we're going to get any run um during the season so it's one of those things where i'm probably going to end up watching a lot of drive games this year trying to figure out who the hell saku dumbia really is yeah i think it's gonna be one of those players where we're not gonna see a lot of him whatsoever he's definitely a project and you know pistons fans have been clamoring for us to draft a a project player, especially a project wing like him, that has those jaw-dropping measurables. And some of the Pistons haven't drafted in a while, and I think it's something we gotta we gotta remember and kind of get used to that. Hey, he's not gonna be somebody who's gonna be playing his first year. I don't project him having a whole lot of run unless he really beefs up on the defensive end. He was having trouble, I think, even staying in front of people in kind of the G League games that I watch. So he's not gonna be someone I expect to see a whole lot of this year. Hopefully, we we kind of hear about him having a great year in practice and. Right him just doing great in the G League. Right, and... so we want we want to see some success in the G League. We want to see him maybe shoot pretty well in the G League. That would be a nice bonus. 
I guess the other thing you want to watch for is like, do we get the news that he put on 20 pounds of muscle over the next year? Because that's the one yes. thing it does look like he really needs. <laughs> He's got great size, but can he get, you know, can he get the core strength? I, I think we talked about this in the draft pod, but I think his natural position is really more of the, the four than the, five, than the three rather. And uh, mm-hmm. he needs another 20 pounds to play the four. So, you know, do we get the news that he's creeping towards 230? That that would be a big a big boon coming into next summer if we got mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of report. Yeah, yep. So Segu's going to be uh, kind of a down the road prospect. Don't expect anything out of this year. Expect to see him a little bit next year. It's year three, and we're really going to see what he brings. Yeah. So, with that being said, of course he's <laughs> he's not available. No, he. I would be very surprised if he gets traded anytime soon. Partially because I think the Pistons want to keep him on there and kind of see what they they got out of him. And also because I don't think any team's going to really want to trade for him, unless the Pistons are giving him away. So he's going to be here. He's got uh, the you know the usual four-year uh, rookie deal with two team options. I would be surprised if he didn't stay for all four of those years. I'd be almost shocked. Yeah. We're going to move right along to Lewis King, uh, the last player we're going to focus on here. Who's another person who didn't have a whole lot of play in summer league. We are still unimpressed with what we saw. I think both of us were, were kind of not exactly excited to see him get that two-way deal so do you have any quick points to touch on with lewis king before we move on no he's still got the two-way deal he didn't get anything in summer league he wasn't with the team in summer league like uh on the floor so Mm -hmm. i mean we're this is a guy who better show up in the g league because he's got an actual roster spot like a roster spot Mm -hmm. and uh yeah if you have one of those you'd better like take advantage of it yeah well the disappointing thing is i feel like a lot of the pistons you know the two-way deals they've had they haven't really done a whole lot with them even last year when we had a couple of good players and Caden lucas and isaiah whitehead even when we had players that we think can participate especially at an nba level they haven't really done a whole lot and as you can tell this year they're not people that we kept on for long term so i mean i think they they suited up Kalen lucas once i saw him play in washington dc and i went bonkers so i know he played he was there, but and and you and I watched him drop like forty in the G League once. Oh my God, he he didn't miss in that nope. game in that uh, G League but, game we went to. But like the Pistons have had literally like what three games maybe where they've suited up a two way player since the two way mm-hmm. rule was implemented. Like that's as far as I'm concerned, that's pretty much not acceptable the way they had the two ways set up last year. So uh, I really hope they take better advantage of that covering for injuries and. Etc. Yeah. It, it, that can't be the way things things go down. Yeah, personally, I'd like to see this. Not necessarily be an open spot, but go to someone maybe a little more deserving of Lewis King. Yeah, I'd... because maybe this is the point where you wave, uh, you know, Kyrie, and say, "Hey, if you don't get you know picked up any team right away, we'll sign you to a two year deal, and we'll keep you on the team, keep you in a development role, but you're gonna need to show yourself a little bit more." So, I'm kind of disappointed in in the signing and of course i always hope to be proven wrong yeah <laughs> to say the least always hope to be proven wrong all right so moving on to the next topic we're going to be talking about the scheme as we've talked about with each position uh, so we're going to start off with defense um, going over the drop system um, so in this defense what's kind of the role of the wings slash forwards or off-ball defenders in this scheme to do and defend? So that they have the same role as the guards when it comes to defending the ball itself, right? So if, if your guy has the ball, 
you have the same getting over, trailing the defense, you know, recovering back to the ball, covering a popping big, you know, all of those decisions we talked about in the guard section are the same if you're defending a ball handling wing like a, a Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard. When it comes to playing off the ball is where the wings are a little more interesting and where the Pistons are kind of unique. Mm-hmm. They don't like to help, period. Nope. <laughs> and this is one of those things where this is why Andre is a little more exposed than some of the other big men in similar systems. Um, you know, for example, the Thunder have run uh, kind of a drop system for Steven Adams. The Jazz run drop systems for uh, around Rudy Gobert. But they're a little more aggressive about chipping uh, the roll man so the wing uh, gets over and... You know, just as the big man is, is rolling to the rim, basically you just play tag and you just like put two hands on him and just <laughs> slow him down a little bit. And basically you're just you're cutting off the space he can jump for a lob into and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the Pistons don't really do that. They mostly want you to stay home. Uh, it's very quick tags for them. So basically the role of the wings is you got to stay in front of your man. And you got to prevent the outside shot. And, you know, you just got to play straight up and and do that they don't really force the wings to rotate to to the rim at all you know they don't play any any rim defense sometimes the the power forward uh blake or or thon or whoever is playing in the power forward is going to have to make that rotation but for the most part the wings are basically their their big task is to stop the you know the elite offensive options that are in the nba Mm -hmm. you know you have to be able to take a lebron james and just not let lebron beat you 1v1 consistently do you think that system is going to be, be good for like a, a Tony Snell? Or do you think that's going to be something where it might bring up maybe some deficiencies in his defensive game? I haven't watched Snell enough to know how much of a gambler he is. For example, when Stanley Johnson was here, Stanley had a really great timing with Andre Drummond. And that Stanley would always kind of dig over and help off his man right when Andre wanted to make his swipes at the ball because Andre loves to steal the ball. Mm-hmm. And so Stanley would always kind of force the dribbler to pick the ball up right when Andre was swiping for it. And it would force so many little turnovers because they had great chemistry in that regard. But that was all Stanley freelancing. So is Tony going to be you know, creative enough defensively to make these reads? Because that's what separates the great defensive players. And I just I don't know. I haven't watched enough Tony Snell closely to to tell if he can do that. If he does, that's a major boost for the Detroit defense, which was very pedestrian last year. As as a primary defender, I mean, he is capable of filling out the role he's going to be asked of. So, you know, for the most part, when we talk about do, does a system fit personnel, you're looking at what are you asking the point guard to do and what are you asking the center to do? Mm-hmm. So this system is designed to let Andre be Andre and to protect the Reggie Jacksons and Derek Roses from being too exposed in isolation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like this is a, a defensive system that kind of caters to, you know, obviously, like you said, kind of defending the point guards, letting them kind of get a little bit of help, uh, but kind of putting the wings out in a bit more of a harder position do we think part of the reason we have you know we brought in a tony snell we have a bruce brown starting is because we think they're good individual defenders that can help get boosted by the system or do you think it's just uh the system is just something that we just needed to do to get by with the the weak perimeter defender we have at, at point guard i i think Dwayne casey chose the drop system because it's the best way to eliminate three-point shots period mm. By force it, basically, you're not ever going to allow the ball to to get a three-point shot that isn't coming off 
pretty significant amount of action or, you know, or just a a spectacular solo effort. Mm -hmm. You're forcing the defense to really work to get those corner threes, especially. So when it comes to the the wings, really all you're saying is that you trust Tony Snell and you trust Bruce Brown and and whoever's there. You trust that they're not going to make a stupid play to expose themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's why we didn't get J.R. Smith. (laughs) Yeah. But that's why, you know, they don't want you helping too aggressively because if you do then you're going to leave the corner shooter open and then you spoil everything they work for elsewhere Mm -hmm. so it is you know a a big part of this is just trusting that you know not only is is someone like snell going to make the right not only is he going to be able to defend his man but he's also not going to gamble he's not going to take chances that he shouldn't Mm -hmm. and expose the team to things that they that the scheme has already fixed you know don't create problems for the team it's very much kind of a trusting the system and allowing yourself to play within it. It's all about communication. That's a big focus. I don't know how much we talked. I don't remember how much we talked about it in the center's podcast. But one of the big things with Andre Drummond, especially, he's not always the most instinctive player. So making sure you talk in this system is huge. Because like when a big man pops out to three, somebody has to say who's covering who. So that's something I always look for when it comes to these guys. You know, who's talking? Uh, who's getting matched up in transition who's pointing things out uh, because that's what makes or breaks a defense that's you know that's what separates like someone like Draymond Green as a as a player of the year defensive player of the year candidate yeah is he's a guy who can direct a defense and communicate and make sure everyone's in the right spot all the time communication is key yeah I think that's Draymond's biggest thing is he's always you, you always see him on the floor he's yelling he's shouting he's pointing he's showing everyone on the floor where to go he's the Tom Brady of uh, defense thing in today's NBA. And you see it as well from like Gobert and a lot of the other great defenders. Yep. Kawhi, not as much. Kawhi's not really much of a talker, as we know. But <laughs> a lot of those great team defenders are just, they're directing the floor, they're communicating. So it's definitely a big part of defense in today's NBA. Move it over to the other side of the floor, offense. So to start out with, I'm going to talk about, obviously, the corner three, which I think is something that's very important. Of course, in today's NBA, it's the most, it's the easiest three to knock down. It's the shortest distance. It's something that we see a lot more today and today. Offense is being built around it. And we talked a lot on the defensive side of the floor about stopping it. So what do we think offensively uh, with these guys we're going to be doing to make sure they can get those corner threes and how we you know, weren't doing a great job last year? Last year, it felt like a lot of our corner threes went to shooters that were not supposed to take corner threes. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of Bruce Brown and Stanley Johnson or even Langston Galloway at times getting caught in the corner. It seems like they've made a bigger focus in preseason of getting the right people in the corners. And that's a big deal because last year we shot the appropriate amount of threes when when you just look at like three-point attempts. But when you look at who was taking them and where they were taking them, the distribution wasn't always right. A lot of them were above the break threes um, for the good shooters. And then the, the bad shooters were getting a lot of the corner ones. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just when, when we look at the, you know, the pick and roll offense, for example, it's making sure Tony Snell is one of the guys in the corner to shoot the three. Or if we shoot in above the break three, that it's Tony Snell who's getting that shot, not Bruce Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, Bruce should be the guy setting a, an off ball screen for a better shooter, that kind of thing. Uh, it looks so far like they've they've made the right um, decisions when it comes to that, and that they're trying that they're trying to create that that kind of shot for the right people. So, hopefully, that continues into the regular season. Yeah, I think definitely kind of one of the bigger points in the soft season is going to be, and like I'd said in the last podcast, I think we saw a lot of uh, Bruce kind of cutting off the ball, and I think it's going to be appropriately having someone moving around with having a Tony Snell or Reggie Jackson who's kind of going to stand more at the three-point line um, and kind of balancing that off-ball movement. 
with some rotation to make sure that there's always someone that we can quick get an outlet the ball to, especially the more that we do in the post and stuff like that. So I think off-ball movement is going to be a big key for the Pistons this year. And it's it's not just moving, it's execution and the quality of the movement as well. Um, timing. Uh, they've made a, a concerted effort so far in the preseason when Bruce has been in there. They've done a lot of cutting across the lane. And as soon as somebody leaves the lane, somebody else is cutting through. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when like the ball's in the post and they're they're trying to play through Blake in that regard. And it's just they've not always been a team, whether it's under Casey or under Stan Van Gundy, they haven't always done the best job of like setting good screens and timing things out appropriately. And that is a, a big difference uh when you're looking at offensive efficiency. The best teams, you know, teams like the Nuggets, teams like the Warriors. You know, when they when they cut, they're cutting with a purpose and they're cutting to the right spots. They're cutting with the right timing. And uh, I, I just kind of hope that the Pistons are a little better at it this year than they were last year because it's it really will benefit Blake when he's trying to do his isolation stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they start running more of these plays that we see Andre getting where he's doing a little more passing so far in the preseason. Which I love. Uh, it's, it's a big benefit for him especially because Andre desperately needs people to be uh, in the right spot he's a very mechanical passer um he doesn't he doesn't make like creative reads very often mm-hmm. so if you want andre to be a good passer you need to put people in the right positions for him you know so just i i hope we see a higher level of execution yeah and i hope we see more off ball work this year than we have in the past mm-hmm. yeah so one of the things we talked about of course is kind of Blake in the post one of the things that i think was a big key for us especially in the the earlier bit of the season when blake was really you know, in his bag, really, really dominating from that, that, that elbow position was kind of the dribble handoff. And it was something that worked excellent with Reggie Bullock and they had a great chemistry. Do we think any of these wings we talked about in this podcast will have a good opportunity to run that with them? Or do you think that's something that we're not going to see a whole lot this year? Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Bruce gets any of the DHO stuff while he's in there. Um, you know, letting a guy with his athleticism get downhill quick with an obvious lob target seems like an easy way to get him involved and keep defenses honest around him mm-hmm. um, i think tony snell can do a little bit of the one dribble actions that reggie bullock ran earlier he was much more creative towards the end of his time with the pistons uh he, he got a lot more comfortable running uh those dribble handoffs and like operating in the middle of the floor once he got below the free throw line uh, i think Snell's going to be a little more reserved than that mm-hmm. but he might be able to get the ball on the run and, and still take the the free throw line jumpers that kind of thing i think of of kind of the other guys uh langston has gotten a lot of the dribble handoffs in the past i will see if again it's all about his decision making running those he could be a good dho guy if he's when he's distributing and when he's being a good passer i am really interested to see uh when svi is out there svi's the guy who's got the shot he can shoot those pull-ups on the move uh he's got like when his body is moving and drifting in like the middle of the shot, yeah. he's still a pretty good three-point shooter. So he's one of the guys where Svee's really getting minutes and getting time. You know, if they're looking for him to do a little more with the ball, seeing him run some of these dribble handoff actions might be where it comes from. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that, where Svee is kind of the one who I'm, obviously a lot of people talk about Luke and the dribble handoff and Bruce to an extent. Svee is someone who I think could really excel if we kind of get him in that role. And I think it's someone who could definitely develop the chemistry with Blake, having that ability to attack or shoot. Where, you know, Bruce, if he's getting the ball in dribble handoff, you're expecting him to go downhill and go towards the basket. Uh, Tony Snell, you're expecting him to kind of maybe pop out and do more of a three or one dribble pull up. Where I think 
Speed's kind of one of those players that, along with Luke, kind of has everything in his bag there. I would consider him a little more of an athlete than Luke. And I think he can be some of the, one of the guys who can go dribble towards the hole. Oh, he's definitely a better athlete than Luke is. Yeah. I think that's not a bold statement no, to say. No, no, no. Between two white guys. But <laughs> I, it's not something I'm expecting to see him just dominate a small forward like Paul George on. But I think if we can have him kind of playing the two there, where he's maybe going against a smaller you know, wing player, he can use Blake's size and, of course, the person defending Blake to kind of bully out that shooting guard. I think that could be a, a, a really successful thing from him and... Hopefully, it's something that he kind of has in his arsenal when he does get those minutes. Hopefully, yeah. There's definitely there's definitely a potential for there to be some like Christian Wood, Svi Mikhailuk, like one-two punch, dribble handoff mm-hmm. actions going on in like the doldrums of the second quarter kind of thing. Yep. Where you just have two bouncy guys who are running that action over and over, and uh, Svi's shown that he can make the right decision in the pick and roll, um, just in in finding the role man. So. Uh, there, there is definitely some interest there. Svi gets on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as as we kind of talk about you know Svi and kind of some of these other wings, uh, what do we think the rotation is going to be looking like, especially kind of at a shooting guard role? I think we've already kind of established the point that we expect Bruce to be the starter there, and Luke to get a lot of minutes coming from the bench at point guard and a little bit at the at the two guard. How do we feel about that? Are we are we fully set on Bruce starting over Luke? I think. I think I definitely am at this point, and I know you've been kind of a proponent of it at this point. So, so you've you've settled into the idea that Bruce is the starter because you were the guy I've who was seen fighting a little bit me. more of Bruce playing, and I've kind of thought about him more in that role. I like what I see, and especially this 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 preseason how he's moving off the ball, and when he does have the ball, how he's moving that offense. I'm a lot more intrigued about him than I was uh, definitely last year, and even this G League where I wasn't. I need to see it against a little bit better competition, and I think as we go into the year, I think I'll. I think I'll either get more in that camp or a little bit out of it, depending on how he plays with the ball in his hands on the offensive side of the floor. But I, I'm definitely warming up to that, and I'm kind of seeing the rationale behind it, at least to start the games. Maybe not to finish it, though. So I, I, I've said this in the past, but to me, the whole mystique about starting is pretty irrational. Yeah. You know, it's they're just minutes. And they happen to be the first minutes of the game, and for the most part, people tend to come out with their best lineups. But the priority of a coach is to get the best total production out of a team. Mm-hmm. And so I th- I've said in the past that I think Luke performs better if he gets a chance to be a higher volume player early on in a game. And if that means he comes on as the, you know, as the first guy off the bench and gets to run a few more plays and be a, a, a primary playmaker early on in those early rotations, and then he can play with the starters to end the games. Mm-hmm. I prefer that. I think we saw that that was pretty productive last year. He was a lot more comfortable. Um, I've been pretty comfortable with what Bruce does in the starting lineup. Obviously, he has his deficiencies, but uh, I think he hides them better than people give him credit for most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm totally comfortable with that being the rotation. You know, if Bruce shows that, or sorry, if Luke shows that he can play with the starters from minute one and you know not suffer from it like he did last year, then Luke should absolutely have those minutes. Mm-hmm. But I'm comfortable with, with the dynamic as it is now. Yeah, I think Bruce has definitely shown enough to be, to show that he is a starter, at least for the beginning of the games, and he can play and fit pretty well along that starting lineup. Um, but until he's able to kind of really secure a shot and not have defenders that are going to lag off him in important games, the end of games, I think Luke has to finish those games and has to be on the floor. Or, you know, whoever we might bring in that can definitely shoot the ball and definitely space it in today's NBA. Yeah, it, closing the game 
one of the big priorities for for Dwayne Casey should be getting Luke and one of Reggie or Derek Rose in rhythm during the game so that during the closing minutes you have a point guard and a shooting guard who are both you know hot and and ready to close the game and then you know whether or not it's Snell playing the three or whether you close with you know three guards and it's and it's uh Jackson Rose and Luke all together you got to get two of those three primary playmakers going so that you have people for the end of the game yeah I think that's gonna be a big thing and making sure that they're ready to go in the regular season kind of go into a little bit of a kind of switching gears from kind of a starter rotation in question to kind of a backup rotation. Obviously, the three, we expect, you know, Tony Snell to be the starter. What do we do when he's off the floor? Because even as I see this question written in front of me, I still don't quite know who I expect to be out there. There's definitely people I want to go out there and fill those, those you know, backup three minutes, but who do we expect to start the season? So I expect when the bench is on the floor to see a Derrick Rose, Langston Galloway, Luke Kennard three guard lineup for the early season. Mm-hmm. My hope is that Svi takes those minutes from Langston at some point, or Kyrie takes minutes from Langston at some point. Preach, girl. You know the the dream is that Seku you know steps up and is amazing. But uh, I I I would really love it if Svi took the minutes. But I kind of expect to see uh, Luke getting that the nominal you know small forward air quotes mm-hmm. uh minutes moving uh just to start the season at least it is it's just so hard to keep those two together uh langston and luke out there at the two and the three with rose around them because that is such a small small lineup between the three of them langston comes in at six two what luke is six four is he six four six five with the something like that yeah i, th- I think he's six five with a six five wingspan yeah with a with a short wingspan so between the three of them it's really it's kind of tough to see them all together so i think that's a spot where i love to see svi kind of kind of make his use and really get i don't think it's gonna be a whole lot of minutes i think it's gonna be maybe somewhere in the range of 18 minutes total and probably split between luke a bit there langston maybe uh kind of helping out there and in svi so I, I i hope there's not a whole lot of minutes that need to be played there off the bench uh but it's something that i hope that svi can eventually take going towards the end of the year and as we get into the playoffs and kind of be more of a dynamic player off the bench than a langston galloway um, lastly, before we close out today, I want to kind of talk about the small ball lineup. I think in today's NBA, especially with the Warriors, everyone wants to talk about the lineup of death, what the most intriguing small ball lineup is. And I want to start with you. No, no, I want to hear you. I want to hear yours first. Okay. So my small ball lineup in <laughs> anyone who follows a lot about me or kind of, as you learn more about me, I'm kind of the opposite of that. I usually like kind of a bigger, I like the long lengthy boys. <laughs> when I pick my lineups. So I usually kind of trend the opposite way on this. Uh, but the way that I would probably go would be Reggie, up technically point guard on the offensive end, more of a sh- guarding more of a two. Uh, Derek Rose playing the two. Because I just, I think with those two, it's such a frenetic offense and with that many people to create. I'm mean, continue on with Luke at the three because, I mean, any lineup that is small ball has to include Luke in it. At this four, I will go with Tony Snell with the caveat that there's another spot where if we're, we're really going like full small ball, I would, I'd be very intrigued to see Svi here and just see him just be at that, that four that can just space the floor and just really just absolutely kill them. And then if we're going full small ball, you got to put Blake at the five. There's no question about that. We'll get ran off the floor against an actual center. Uh, but in kind of this scenario, I'm picturing, you know, the, the Draymond Green center kind of thing where you're not going to get beat up in the post by him. Um, so I'm kind of expecting that small ball. But if we do have an actual center, you know, a, a Rudy Gobert four in or four out one in, uh, I mean, obviously you go Andre. One of those two has got to be on the floor for any best lineup, I'd say. See, so that's 
That's my hot take here is that the Pistons best small ball lineup is actually the one where Andre's at the five because you're still like really athletic and still able to defend the perimeter because that's kind of Andre's special ability as a, as a defensive presence is his ability to switch. And then you put something like Tony Snell at the four and then you have like Svee and Luke on the wing and like Bruce at point guard and you just run and shoot and <laughs> run and shoot and run and shoot. And I want to see it. Okay. I just, I worry about that lineup offensively. I feel like not having Reggie Rose or Blake on the floor, you're losing a lot on the offensive end in terms of, you know, half court rotation. Obviously they're going to get a lot of steals and flat turnover. But see, I, I know that, I know that Andre can run the elbow offense. Yeah. Because we've seen him do it in the past, he can. And if you're running, and if you're running the elbow uh, motion stuff, uh, Bruce is a cutter is a totally viable thing. You've got three shooters because mm-hmm. you've got Snell, Svee, and Luke. So you've got three good shooters. You've got two guys at least in Luke and Bruce who can run a pick and roll, and maybe Svee. You've got f- uh, three guys probably, uh, depending on how how you feel about Snell or Bruce, who can run dribble handoffs. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's more offense in there than you might think, and that's a dynamic transition lineup. Yeah, it's it'd be great in transition. Better than you think defensively because you have two guys on the floor who can defend, you know, elite offensive options in Bruce and Snell. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really fun. It would, it would definitely be a fun lineup. The interesting thing to me is that you're taking off the two guys on the floor in uh, Reggie and Derek Rose who are going to be your slower, well, and Blake, who are kind of your slower, more probing offensive options. Because those three guys really, they do not care about going fast. Rose will. Um, you know, like Rose likes to push and transition. Mm-hmm. But in the half court, he also likes to set himself up quite a bit. Yeah. So I kind of want to see a small ball lineup with Andre still out there and, and a bunch of guys who are just willing to run basic motion stuff as fast as possible. That'd be something where I'd, I'd say if you want to put Andre out on the floor, that's something where I'd like to see a little bit more time with him and Rose together. Because I feel like him and Rose kind of in that same kind of a sense, that same kind of lineup, kind of running the floor, where you could put, let's put Rose, Bruce, Luke, uh, Snell, and Andre together. And if in the half court, Rose is going out there and he's doing a lot of, he's doing a little bit of dribble handoff, he's doing a little bit of pick and roll, he's kind of doing more in a two-man offense than his kind of ISO one-on-one stuff that we're kind of expecting out of Rose in the past. If he's a little more into kind of that offensive setting where he's playing off someone or playing with someone, I think that's something that could be really an interesting lineup. And kind of give you that that run and transition. Obviously, you know, you saw it in the preseason against the Cavs in the third quarter where Rose likes to get in transition. He likes to move. He's still got that ability. But being able to do that while still having a pretty reliable, I'd say, half-court setting as well. If you, if you want to put Andre on the floor and kind of dominate a team on the boards, I think that'd be my team. All right. All right. So we're going to close up today's podcast like we do everyone, um, which is going to be dedicating it to one of our Pistons that are close to our heart. This one specifically, another world champion, is going to be Tayshaun Prince. Uh, so Tayshaun was drafted in 2002 as the 23rd pick out of Kentucky. Do you want to tell me a little bit about him? So uh, he played some sporadic minutes behind uh, Corliss Williamson and Michael Curry in his rookie year. And then his sophomore campaign, uh, he was playing major minutes as the starting three for the championship going to work squad. Uh, he'd spend his first 11 years with the Pistons uh, and then spent a couple of years as a journeyman. He would return to the Pistons for um, just a couple of games uh, late in his career. Uh, he was known for being a stalwart defender who could stretch the floor. 
uh, a linchpin player for a team that just, I mean, spent, what was it? He would have spent his first six years in the conference finals. Something like that, yeah. You know, I'll always remember that, like, running hook shot he had. That was kind of unique and old school for a wing. You know, obviously everybody remembers the block. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you can't bring up Deshaun Prince without mentioning probably the most important block in the playoffs ever until LeBron stole that away. That's forever what I'll remember Deshaun as. It's the first thing that always pops into my mind is him essentially edging, ending <laughs> Reggie Miller's career, just destroying all his hopes and dreams. Yeah, the uh, we, I, I think everybody loves the Palace Prince, and I always love, mm-hmm. you know, he's such a great example of a player who, like, when you look at him statistically, like, he's not anything impressive. No. You know, he didn't have any career numbers his best years weren't crazy um and it's just he's he's such a great example of a player who was so important to a team without being obvious about why you know there's nothing in a box score that tells you oh Tayshawn prince is good and then you know you ask any pistons fan who was watching the team at that time and everybody loves him because he did all the things you needed to do you know that's why we hope that someone like tony snell can can fill that role and that's why I think everybody loved Marcus Morris when he was here, etc. Because mm-hmm. players who do their job, you, you know, you just can't get enough. Yep, he, he was always somebody you could rely on. He always, he always to steal my favorite soccer term, he, he would always put in a good shift. Yeah, and it's <laughs> never that... put a foot in wrong. <laughs> never. He's a reliable, dependable player, and someone like that is always missed on a great team. So. As we close out today, um, I do want to thank anyone that has stuck to the end of this another very long podcast. It's all As we head in, Webster's fault. Okay, it's all my fault. I'm the one that talks too much. I know, I know. Uh, so as we continue into the season here, um, we're going to try and get into not necessarily a regular schedule, but we're trying to do once a week, as we've said a couple times. And we're trying to make these shorter. That, I swear, we're trying. Yep. Now that we get into the regular season, I think we're going to cut these down quite a lot we're not going to have uh, nearly as much to talk about and nearly enough to wax poetically on and hopefully we have uh, so like five times as many arguments yes <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to find some fun stuff so definitely of course you can find us on twitter i'm not the fake webby he is of course halbertius send us some any questions you have or any interesting topics you want us to cover we'll be happy to go into it and kind of read a little bit more into it and if you've listened this long and you have a take you want to come on the pod and share <laughs> I'm here for it, all right? Yeah. I will record you giving be... your take. We will talk. I'm here for it. That'll be a, that'll be a, a section we have, just <laughs> Pistons take of the day. <laughs> Look, if we can get enough people submitting takes to have a take of the day or a take of the week, I'd be so happy. Mm-hmm. But really, it'd just be all parks saying, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, can you please explain to me what the zone defense is? <laughs> Um, yeah, for anyone that's stuck around this far, um, I would like to award you one internet cookie. Thank you for sticking around. Have an updo. <laughs> Beyond that, I think we're, we're ready to close out, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. See ya. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.